Hello and welcome to another episode of the Live Immediately podcast with Mike Campbell. Thank you so much for listening. This is where I have conversations with people who are living life on their own terms. We dive into those big moments that have pushed them through the fears and self-limiting beliefs that hold so many of us back. But before we get into today's episode, I would like to announce, and I'm super excited to announce, a free event that I am hosting in my hometown of Newcastle next Saturday, February 18. The event is called Live More With Less, a workshop about the benefits of minimalism. And it's on Saturday, February 18 from 2 p.m. in the upstairs room at Black Sheep on Derby Street. And if you head over to liveimmediately.com, you'll find the events page there and there's a stack of information and a link to register. And even though this is a free event, if you would like to come and join me, please register as spots are limited. And if you've been listening to a number of the podcast episodes, it's going to come as no surprise that living with less has been a big game changer for me. And it's really allowed me to pack more fun into my life. And one thing that I noticed since my wife and Andy and I have returned from our year-long family adventure is that many people were asking us about the benefits of minimalism and how my family and I purged over 50% of our belongings and the journey that we took to live a life with less. And these questions really excited me as it meant that people were starting to be mindful about how they live their lives and to really question what's important to them. So to help people at the beginning of their own minimalist journey or simply if people have a few questions about minimalism, I'm hosting this free workshop about the benefits of living with less. And I'll cover the process that my family and I went through, tips when starting out and the fun benefits that I've seen in my own life, along with answering any questions and meeting other people that simply want more with less in their lives. So Live More With Less, a workshop about the benefits of minimalism on Saturday, February 18 from 2 p.m. at Black Sheep on Derby Street. Head over to liveimmediately.com to register and I hope to see you there. Now onto the podcast and I want to start by saying if you are a parent, then I have one big ask for you and that is please really listen to this episode as there are so many important factors for bringing up our children. My insightful, beautiful, and profoundly articulate guest today is Claire Dunn, and she is a student of nature. Claire is also the author of the book, My Year Without Matches, Escaping the City in Search of the Wild, where she spent a year off-grid in a wilderness survival camp. In this episode, Claire and I discuss her experience in living in the wilderness for a year, the mysterious pull that we feel, and the sacred order of survival. But where my heart really lies in this conversation is when we start discussing rewilding. And this is where we need to rediscover our wildness and the beautiful and very important notion of bringing up nature-connected kids. Claire is a deep thinker, but not simply in the back corners of her mind, but deep into her soul. I personally took so much away from this beautiful conversation, and I know you will too. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Claire Dunn. Hi Claire, how are you? I'm really well, and you? I'm wonderful, I really am. Thank you so much for being with me today. 
My pleasure. Thanks for the invitation. And whereabouts in this beautiful world do I find you today? I'm in Melbourne, in the in the smack bang in one of Australia's biggest cities, which is not the easiest place for me to live. But um, you know, sometimes cities are where we land and where we need to be and where the service is. So that's where I am. Yeah, oh, happy days. And um, it's interesting that you say that you kind of live smack bang in the middle of a city because you are the author. Um, of the book, My Year Without Matches, Escaping the City in Search of the Wild. And this is where you spent a year off-grid in the wilderness, in a wilderness survival camp. Um, And I really can't wait to kind of dive into a lot of the things that you would have learnt on that journey of discovery that you went on. But first, like, what was the catalyst for making the decision to head bush for a year? What was happening in your life that you felt you needed to change? So if you could take me back, I guess, to that moment before you had this life awaking decision. Sure. Well, you know, there were many, many moments that, that led up to it. Um, and in some ways, it was a conscious uh, decision to, to leave the familiar and enter the wild but in in other ways uh, especially in hindsight it was like I was being pulled um, just inextricably towards um, towards mystery and the mystery that one finds when you're immersed in in um, in a foreign environment and especially especially nature so at the time I was a um, environmental campaigner for the wilderness society in Newcastle I was I was running running the campaign centre there and, and incredibly engaged with the political media sphere and organising. And I, that had been a passion of mine for, for most of my 20s. And it came from a, a great love of the earth, um, passion for protection of species and our wild natural areas. And I'd grown up on a farm outside Newcastle, um, pretty conservative you know, upbringing, but in many ways it was a very nature-connected uh, upbringing, which, which I think led to my to my um, desire to help the planet, but at the time um, I was starting to kind of question the the success, the potential success of what I was doing, because what I came to see is that um, whatever I could say to try and convince people of the the ecological crisis that we're in, um, unless they had a love of nature and a connection with nature. They nothing was going to shift. There wasn't any kind of emotional place for the reality of our planet time to to kind of take root and take seed and and actually change their behaviour. So I came to see that the, the the kind of greater campaign needed was to heal the separation between humans and nature. And I recognised that in myself too. There was a sense of you know being a kind of computer based campaigner lost touch in in some ways with the original inspiration and really burning out, really tired, sense of exhaustion and peopled out and just wanted to switch off, really wanted to switch off. And along, um, along these same lines, an email popped into my inbox one day that was uh, inviting me to a course called Nature Philosophy, which was a five-day immersion into – bushcraft, nature observation and awareness and kind of shamanic training, very earth-based. And I went along and it really turned me on. It was um, something about it felt felt more real than 
anything that I had encountered. It suddenly felt so right to be learning, you know, how to light fires without matches, what bush food to eat, sleeping under a swag with under the stars with a, with a group of others around the campfire, um, and learning how to really open my senses and, and be aware of what's around me. And I fell in love with um, that path of deep nature connection and, and followed that thread um, to, to all sorts of studies and it, through America with uh, wilderness survival and experts and trackers and, and um, eventually ended up saying yes to this program that was the first of its kind in Australia, an, an independent wilderness studies program, which is um, kind of a complicated name for essentially a group of a small group of people going out into the into the bush and uh, trying to live as simply as possible using indigenous skills and and really sinking into um, the experience of being being in one place in nature for four seasons without uh, without any to do lists and and uh, not much schedule, uh, not much structure at all. Just a, a sense of um, a sense of landing, landing at home, home in the wild world. And it was uh, something that called me very deeply. And it um, it was a big yes. Of course, I didn't know what I was going to get myself into, but um, <laughs> it was a it was a it was an inextricable pull to the the mystery. And you, you spoke about, I guess, the pull of the mystery earlier as well. And I guess with with mystery, there's an element of unknown. And I mm. think sometimes when we are, I guess, pulled by this mystery or pulled by this unknown, we then put up our hands or we try to push against it because sometimes we are looking for that sense of control and that sense of, I want to use the word safety, if you kind of understand yes. where, where I mean. How did you... Absolutely. How did How did you... I guess, push through that to uh, allow yourself to be pulled into that mystery? I think there's, there's uh, different times in life when mystery pulls us. And when I say mystery pulls us, I understand that in a sense of being pulled into the world of soul, you know, rather than the kind of ego world that we usually live in. There's periods of our life that, that draw us into the, the underworld, the world of soul, which is uh, not our usual waking reality. Uh, it, it pulls us into a deeper knowing of ourselves and, and it can come in, the pull can come in lots of different ways and sometimes it's it's more of a running towards it, like a leaping towards it um, without much kind of trepidation or, or uh, and it's, it's, it's kind of like an excitement that, that draws us in and, and other times it's, um, you know, it's like we're being pulled, kicking and screaming into an experience of the unknown might be breaking up from a relationship or leaving a job or, or jumping into something that um, – or making a decision to, to really step into the unknown that feels very uncomfortable um, and very full, you know, full of uncertainties. And that kind of dive into mystery takes a lot of courage and, um, and really asks us to deeply trust that it's taking us somewhere we need to go. I've experienced that kind of pull before but this one was different this one was um uh this was an absolute yes it didn't 
I mean, it, it, it definitely took some commitment to extract myself from the, the social, professional, relational ob- ob- um, obligations that I had. But, um, you know, people say to me, oh, gee, you're so brave doing that. It didn't really feel like that. It felt, it felt, certainly felt like it took all of my courage to write the book the years after that. But the actual experience I was aching for, I was um, ready for in every possible way. Mm-hmm. And it, it just took that, that kind of convincing myself that it was doable. That I, and once I said yes and started to kind of, you know, leave my job, I left my relationship, uh, all sorts of things changed, then, um, look, it was really an, an easy slide into the experience. Um, but it was certainly a pull from mystery. Um, but it was one of the easier ones to say yes to because um, all of me wanted to be there. And And when you did say yes to this mystery and you're – standing at the edge of the bush on your first day what do you what do you have with you before you you go into this wilderness survival camp is it literally Mm. the shirt on your back it was a bit more than that it was definitely it wasn't a full survivor kind of experience um the land couldn't have supported us to have you know lived entirely uh just off the off uh off the land it would have been um would have been too difficult. I probably would have lasted a couple of weeks. So it was really a, a much more a choose your own adventure and, and what what you needed to to kind of, you know, have an experience that wasn't all struggle. So um, it was certainly minimal gear. I, uh, I had my swag and um, tools, some, some tools to build a shelter and some staple foods, you know, lots of rice and lentils and oats and things to keep me going. Um, not, you know, not much really a mosquito net. Now that was, that was a vital, <laughs> a vital piece of equipment, some, some basic cooking gear. Um, you know, I'm actually scanning in my memory for what ended up being in my shelter. It, yeah, it's, I, it's I interesting. one of those plastic, a plastic box full of stuff that ended up being a, a basket full of stuff that, that I'd made, but not a lot. Yeah, no, it, you don't really need much. You don't, and I, I guess I'll come back to that living with less um, a little bit later, but it's interesting that you talk about a mosquito net um, because when I was in America with my family for a year and we would go hiking in the woods, we were so, I don't want to say so scared of bears, but I guess we mm. were never at ease because in Australia we don't have an animal that can like maul you when you're walking yes. through the woods. You know, yes, we have you know, I think we have 22 of the top 23 most deadliest snakes in, in the world. And you've got to get to number 12, which I think is the rattlesnake in America before you get yeah. to a deadly snake outside of Australia. Um, yes. But how did you, how did you deal with, you know, the mosquitoes, the bugs, the insects, the spiders and the snakes in the yeah, bush? Well, because it, it, they're it, it, there. They're there. And then they're, they're there in spades, especially in the humid northern New South Wales summer. Um, look, I'm, I feel very blessed that we don't have animals that can maul us unless you're, you know, in, in the, around crocodiles or, or some such. Um, and snakes just have a very different quality to, to feeling like a, a cougar can be, you know, stalking up on you in the middle of the night. It mm. just doesn't have the same fear. 
probably more dangerous to, to you know there was a there was a death adder on the on the main trail that that appeared very often um but bugs can eat you slowly for <laughs> many weeks and days. Um, and, and seriously, a mosquito net was probably my number one survival piece of equipment along with my knife. Um, yeah, they were fierce, you know, the mosquitoes and the, particularly the midges, those little tiny critters that, that can kind of sometimes sneak through a mosquito net and they really give a sting. Um, and they're the kinds of kind of psychological um, struggles that that can really chip away at you when mm. you when you're living living out in out in the in the wild, but um yeah that that was certainly a uh, a concern in summer. But we arrived in summer, and the first task was building a shelter. So that kept me moving for the good first couple of months. So um that's that's the best um, antidote to bugs is is just to keep moving so yeah. they, they don't have time to rest on you. So it was it was exhausting, but it was the best strategy. I think that's a great strategy just in life. Just keep on moving. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but um, but you spoke there about building a hut when you first arrived. You know what was some of the most practical skills that you had to learn? You know, being in the bush for a year. Well, there's something that they call the the sacred order of survival, um, which is a generalisation, but it's a good a good neat package to to think about when you when you're talking about what to what to prepare for. Um, and it goes, you know, number one being shelter, then water, then fire, then food. So uh, that's a general guideline. To the priorities of survival, so shelter was the first, and that involved um, building something that would keep me dry in torrential rain and warm in sub-zero temperatures, uh, which is a challenge. You know, we not having hammers and nails, and and um, also not having any experience building anything other than a, gosh, nothing really. I hadn't built, I hadn't built anything mm-hmm. apart from a, an overnight survival shelter. So it was quite a challenge, and in the end, I I ended up with a, a first attempt at a shelter, which became uh, my kitchen, which was a a lean to an open two sided um, open lean to um, made with um, paper bark roof. And then the the real shelter t- took shape um, in a in a sphere, so it was like a little igloo, uh, an igloo shape that I thatched with um, lady grass. And I, I had to get my head around the fact that, you know, this shelter was not going to have something that had lots of light and different rooms and all these functions that I think of as a house. I, I came to see it as somewhere that was necessary to, to sleep at night, um, to be warm in winter uh, and dry in rain. And the whole forest was my home. And I just needed one little room within that home to, to keep me dry and warm. And that was my shelter. And I absolutely adored my shelter. I, uh, I, get, um, I get teary just thinking about it, mm. those, uh, those long, long winter nights uh, inside my shelter alone, um, which was pretty much every night <laughs> in winter. They were just some of the most precious memories and experiences I've, I've ever had and I imagine I'll, I'll ever have the simplicity of um, of sitting inside this little cocoon that I'd 
made with my own hands while the you know the rain came down or the, the wind blew and I was dry and I was warm and snug and weaving my basket and cooking my my simple little dinner on the fire inside my shelter and watching the smoke rise up out of the the chimney with the the bangalow palm uh, a cap on the chimney so the rain couldn't get in it was like something from a fairy tale and I, I sometimes kind of had to pinch myself that it was real and I was doing this thing that I'd longed to do wow it um i want one of those rooms that sounded beautiful yeah very special place and we kind of touched on this a little bit earlier about kind of living with less and and here you talk about building a room or a a house a shelter that Mm. that doesn't have multiple rooms that it really is just this place for you to to rest your head and to to be Mm. there to protect you and then Mm. the forest and the bush is is really your playground, your life. How mm. have you brought any of those, I guess, simple methods back home with you? Mm. It's been a, it's been a challenge to figure out ways to incorporate what brought me so alive in that experience into my life in the city and, uh, you know, I, I've lived in a few different cities and also in the bush since, since that experience. Um, and it's certainly a lot harder in an urban environment to, um, to stay connected in that way uh, because, the, you know, being surrounded by wild nature, it, uh, you're immersed in, uh, in the earth rhythm, mm. you know, in the, in the rhythm of the forest, which, which is a different timing to this urban life that we live and, um, Look, certain certain things ground me. I watch the birds um, where I live, and uh, continue with my studies of bird language. I, um, I I seek out the green spaces in in parks and and uh, and build a build a garden, a flourishing garden, so I can um, kind of be immersed be immersed in the greenery as much as possible. Um, but it, it has been difficult, and you know, I I really came to see though that wildness or or the wild is is more a state of being than a place which is encouraging for the majority of us who live in cities um and it's it it is that sense of of coming from um an internal authority rather than an external authority so at its at its most pure i really believe that wildness having having been immersed in in an environment where look you know Plants and animals just are. They're just doing what they do. They're showing up in their authenticity every day. And having that space to be able to just be myself, one more creature in the forest, to follow my whim and my desire. And if I want to lay down and nap, then I nap. If I want to run, I run. If I want to climb a tree, I climb a tree. Um, Re-establishing that sense of internal authority, that I'm a wild creature, that – that has a, a rightful place on this earth and a right to to do what I feel called to do, express myself fully. Mm. And that really is wildness. So, you know, that's kind of how I see myself trying to embody it in this life is what does this being need to express right now? Yeah, it's really interesting that you talk about wildness being an internal thing because I th- believe mm. that, and I know that I – 
do this sometimes that the we blame the externals on why we can't do something when really mm. often that could be an internal thing. But something else mm. that you've also written about um, that I really loved, and it's this element of rewild that we need to mm. rewild ourselves. And I guess this is uh, the notion that you're talking about here. But where and why do you think we lost our wildness? Mm. Well, that's a big question. That's kind of like <laughs> the history of the <laughs> Western civilization question. But I, I think most of us are in agreement that we've become very domesticated, mm. you know, through through uh, agrarian civilization, through our current cultural paradigm of of um, you know economic growth and um, individualism, um, capitalism. You know, it's it's really a sense of it's like we're it's like we're employees on this in our lives. Um, some of us might think of ourselves even as domestic slaves. You know, we do what has to be done to keep everything ticking over. But are we really in our sovereignty? You know, are we are we able to express the truth of our being? Um, do we have a sense of our the wildness of our body, our strength, our flexibility, our um, how we come alive through through being in our physical body? Um, do we have a sense of being able to follow our curiosity? I think that's a big part of it. Mm. Are we curious or have we lost that that curiosity? Do we do we not really care uh, to hear the stories of our friends or neighbours? Um, are we not really curious about uh, the, the changing weather patterns or the birds in our backyard? Um, have we got a connection with the, the, the food that we eat? Um, can we... Can we really feel what serves our body, um, what what food is alive and, and what is what is essentially just dead food that we're putting in our bodies? Um, I think all these all these aspects of um, this this term rewilding, it's really about coming back to this sense of we are wild beings in our core and we we have it's our birthright to to have a connection to place, to have a village that we call home, to um, feel at home in our bodies, to feel our sense of aliveness, to feel our connection with uh, our, and our sense of interconnectedness with the web of life that we live, um, and to and to be living a life that is is connected and curious um, and and brings us alive, brings our creativity out um, allows us to dance and sing and tell stories some of those basic human um, modalities that mm. have been around through you know generations of indigenous societies and have we forgotten how to dance have we forgotten how to sing have we forgotten how to how to listen to each other's stories they're some of the core elements to me of uh, of rewilding yeah well if we forget how to dance we can always i'm sure there's an app that can uh, teach us how to do that again, which is, uh, I guess, I guess it's, it's, you know, obviously that the technology side of things does play a big thing. And it's interesting mm -hmm. how you talk about connection, mm. but your connection that you're talking about is this, this deep internal connection of, of, you know, what we believe in our souls, where this connection connected society that we live in now is, um, is often creating a, a bigger disconnect. And I've found you, when you were talking there about, you know, being wild and curious, I think that curiosity comes up a lot in the conversations that I have with people. And at the moment, um, 
right now as I'm recording this uh, this episode, um, Inga and I and our, our little daughter Andy are house sitting a property up in the Hunter Valley in Lovedale, and mm-hmm. um, at this property, you know, there's 23 acres here and they've got this beautiful fig tree and these tomato patch and all this kind of stuff. And Andy, even though we have a little herb garden at home here every morning, it's, it's, uh, we kind of have these chores and obviously it's a bit of a novelty for us. You know, I'm out watering the garden Mm -hmm. and Andy and Inga and I were going out and picking these beautiful figs and everything. And just, it's just so beautiful to kind of see Andy who's five years old, you know, really getting involved with that. And, And she's, really teaching people. And then when my sister and her boys came up to visit one day, it was really great seeing Andy teach her four boys um, mm. how to test the fig. You know, you got to squeeze mm. it softly. Is it ready yet? Or here mm. are the tomatoes and blah, blah, blah. Are these ones are split? You can throw them away. And you could just see them all just um, absorbing everything. It was really, really wonderful to see. Right. Right, and that's um, you know this is this is the key I feel to to really shifting the trajectory that that our society is heading in is is bringing up nature connected kids, mm. and some of the research is really interesting. Unless the parents or teachers model the attributes of nature connection, then just taking the kids out to the bush or the farm won't really do it. The 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 parents and the teachers need to be nature connected themselves in order to to um, model that mm. you know and we're not talking about going out to the bush for a year or needing to to live out on a farm or live in the bush um, it's about some just some of the core practices of nature connection like having one place in your in your backyard or in a park that you sit and observe and really soak in everything happening in in the 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 physical world um, and having that place that connects you to the seasons and the cycles, um, it's it's knowing where your food comes from. It's um, it's really awakening the senses. So you know, like really opening up our our sense of hearing and touch and seeing. So we're taking in so much more of the environment, not getting stuck in our rut. And you know, house sitting or farm sitting is such a great way to kind of open up that sense of wonder because everything's new and you're like a tourist and you're seeing the 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 fig tree as if for the first time and and that's just a wonderful example of how we can live if we if we choose um and you know the 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 book um nature deficit disorder which uh richard Liu wrote mm-hmm. some years ago now that was uh that made a big splash in the in the in the cultural pool especially in the united states because oprah winfrey picked it up and what he was saying through his research is that we're bringing up a generation of children who are disconnected from nature, um, and the the result of that is a host of kind of physical and and psychological impacts um, that that he's able to he's been able to draw the draw the connections between lack of nature and things like ADHD and um, uh, other other kinds of um, issues that are arising from not having uh, unstructured playtime in nature, mm. letting your kids off the leash, letting them in the vacant lot or the park, and giving them that time with other kids to, you know, um, imagine this wild world around them to to build their shelters, make their mud pies, explore. That is 
as a core part of healthy human development and one that's that's missing in so many uh, kids' lives and adults' lives. It's never too late to do that. Mm. Uh, I. One thousand percent agree <laughs> with everything you said there, and mm. it's um, it's funny some of the some of the questions that I kind of had in my mind to answer uh, to ask you you you've actually just kind of come out there and answered them. But since right. since you've been back from the bush and you know talking about nature connected kids and doing things as a family and kind of that unstructured play, um, mm. when I was researching for this episode, uh, which I absolutely loved, I actually didn't realize there was this whole community of people out there that I didn't mm. realize I was I was searching for, but there are a number of, I guess, courses or camps mm. or retreats that you're involved in, some that you run and some that you partake in. Some are, are a, a day course, some are you know, a week or a month, as I, as I kind of mentioned. But can you just explain some of those? And, and I'll make sure that I, I link to all this in the show notes as well. But um, there was a whole, as I said before, a whole world that I didn't even realize right. w- was out there. Yeah, well, it is really exciting. Uh, there, there is a movement that is is kind of young, but um, rapidly growing, and I guess you could call it the the nature connection movement, the rewilding community, um, soul centric uh, exploration through through nature based activities, rites of passage in nature, and um, it's it's springing up like little green shoots all over the place. Certainly, you know, I've done quite a bit of study and travel in America, and the and the movement there is very strong. And in Australia, it's 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 embryonic, but it's it's happening, um, and it's it's right around the country. People are starting, you know, bush kindies or, um, you know, homeschool groups for ki- for kids in the bush one day a week. Um, my business is Nature's Apprentice, and I run a, a range of different of courses that involve both you know physical survival skills so learning to light fires from um, rubbing sticks together and weaving weaving natural fibers to make string and and learning some of the the core routines of nature connection and and opening up our our, our senses bird language they're they're all passions of mine as well as um uh wilderness rites of passage like vision quest um which is you know a c- more contemplative and soul-based work out in nature um, sacred ecology courses. Um, I do one-on-one mentoring with 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 people that use ecotherapy. And look, there's there's people all over the country now who are who are offering these types of of courses and um, experiences. And it's it's really exciting. It's exciting to be a part of. Um, it's exciting to be kind of pioneering something that that I'm so passionate about because I I truly believe that if we want to live on a healthy wild planet, then we need to be healthy wild people and that doesn't necessarily mean going off to the bush for a year but it it does mean making a conscious decision to turn our attention back to what david abrams calls the more than human world you know lending our ears to the song of the birds and the feel of the the sun on our skin and and how we can be enlivened um, and and drawn back with a with a sense of wonder and and curiosity back into um, in relationship back into relationship with the wild world and the creatures all around us and and uh, you know you're on the right track when uh, you become more happy mm. and uh, full of more more joy and and fun and and uh, and and a, and a quiet mind. Yeah, like you talk about you know fun and and happiness and the, and the stillness there. What was 
you know, we spoke earlier about some of these great survival skills that, mm. that you've learned, you know, starting fires, being mm. able to build shelter and all those things that, that we need. And I guess a, a lot of that in an urban setting, we, mm. we kind of have automatically, but what, what was some of the biggest, what was the biggest internal change for you? You know, mm. what, what was that biggest effect on your soul? Through, through your experience? Well, there were many shifts and I guess that's <laughs> as much as I thought I was preparing for the experience, I, I didn't realize how, um, how deep, how deeply transformative the experience of living like that for a year was, was going to be. I, I was certainly asking for it. I was asking for, a, a, you know, a life-changing kind of experience, but there's there's something I I know now and I recognise now I, I see other people go through it when when someone really is ready and like at this at the, at, a, at a kind of stage of human development and it's not age specific but it is a stage of human development that um, one needs to go through um, if the intention is there and the and the timing is right then um, one will undergo a, a deep kind of soul shifting experience that in some ways breaks down your identity. And this is what happened to me. My, my old identity kind of shattered. Um, I didn't really know who I was or what I had to offer the world. I just knew that I had to follow this thread of, of um, kind of unlearning and undoing. And I realized how much I'd been driven and driven by ambition and achievement and, and the cultural conditioning around, around being a, you know, a little human doer and I really started to slow down and um, realize that the task in front of me was was one of letting go and and coming into much more of a sense of being you know trusting that I'm enough just as I am it's not about what I what I do or, or offer in an external sense and coming to know the the kind of deeper parts of myself that hadn't had the time or space to um, to 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 unfold in my in my busy life, it really was a kind of coming into a in, into a real adulthood, um, knowing the unique gifts and talents that I bring into the world, and um, kind of the, the compass bearing shifting away from um, the, the the world of achieving and doing, and to the world of service and. Um, and really, you know, wanting to, to make the use of the gifts and talents and creative expressions that I have. So it wasn't always an easy experience. I came up against a lot of my shadow um, parts of myself I hadn't, hadn't encountered, didn't want to see. Um, and it was, it was through that physical, sensorial engagement with the natural world that, that I underwent this kind of, in some ways, a dark night of the soul to, to come into my um, more of my whole, my wholeness. Mm. Wow. I, I sometimes don't know where to go to after you speak. Cause it's just, <laughs> it's, I, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm here with my, my ears wide open and my, and my mouth wide open as well. Just, just trying to take all of this in, but what would, what would the woman that walked out of the wilderness mm. say to the woman that's about to walk into the wilderness. Okay. <laughs> uh, well, 
That's a good question. <laughs> I'm kind of picturing me back, back, back then and what I would say. I probably wouldn't want to say much and, and let the experience unfold. Um, I would probably want to uh, want to encourage gentleness, the gentleness of being and a deep trust in the mystery and, uh, you know, a, a, a reminder that, um, that the forest is, you know, a, an unknown and, and, and foreign place for most of us and through immersing oneself in that environment, you will find the unknown and foreign places in yourself and uh, just to, to trust in that process and yeah, to, to really take the opportunity as much as possible to remember oneself in this experience, to remember you know, that we're one strand in the in the web of, of human life. And um, if, if that's all you take from it, then that's more than most people ever really live in their lifetimes. Mm. Uh, mm. And I, I guess with, you know, some people, and we, we, we did touch on a little bit about this earlier, but... It, some people might not have the means or ability or desire to spend a full year in the forest, mm. but they long mm. for that change and that stillness and that slowness yes. that we've been talking about. Yes. You know, are there things that you've learned that people could, I guess, implement into their daily lives to mm. head them in that direction? And I know we touched on before about, you know, having that spot in nature where you actually just sit mm. down with your family and your kids and absorb everything. But are there things that other things that people can do, you know, in this urban setting yes. that allows them to, I guess, bring up nature connected kids or be nature connected themselves? Certainly, um, you know, one of my my teachers who uh, is incredible tracker and bird language expert. You know, he lives in he lives in a in a city in in America, and he spends a lot of time on the porch watching and listening um so it really is about creating space and time to kind of enter the dream time you know enter that that deep listening space where you can hear both the subtle voices of the wild world around you and the wildness within so it's about simplifying and certainly that that sit spot or sacred spot somewhere close to your home that you can go as as regularly as possible and sit and 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 really observe and open your senses and and see what see what is usually invisible to most people. You know, you might discover the fox or the the owl, the tawny frogmouth, the the dragonflies, the 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 way that the wind blows at a certain time of the day that you hadn't ever noticed before. And these things are precious and deeply connective. And the other thing I would suggest is is giving giving gratitude every day. Gratitude is a very powerful practice. So, you know, gathering gathering together at the start of a meal and giving thanks for all the elements and the the people who have gone into creating the meal that you're about to eat. I find that a very um very grounding practice for my daily life. Oh, I love it. It's um it's definitely something that I really 
have noticed a lot of the places that we stayed in America were quite mm. rural settings. And mm. I, I've noticed that since we've been back and living in Newcastle, we still mm. all the time are, are you know, finding ways for us to kind of get back into nature. If that's a, a walk mm. after dinner or going mm. to the beach or things like what we're doing right now, we're putting your hand up to go somewhere for a week and, um, yes. you know, look after a property in the bush just yeah. to, to inject it because we can't do those things all the time. You know, yeah. it, life is different as you've kind of been touching on through this whole mm. conversation. And I, I really hope that so many people really listen to the words that you've said, because I know personally I have got so much out of it, but before we do go, I have one final question, Claire, and it's something yes. that I ask all of my guests. And, okay. that's, and that's if you could please describe your perfect day. My perfect day. Ooh, well, ah, oh, my perfect day. Well, I think it would be waking up and and uh, going straight to the beach and and diving in and having a glorious swim. Maybe doing some laps in the ocean baths and uh, gathering gathering a few bits of um, some some bush food from the beach. Maybe some warrigal greens or some ripe pig face um, for for breakfast and and. Uh, going back and collecting some eggs from the chickens in the backyard and making a delicious breakfast. Um, and then it would be spending the morning in the garden, gardening and growing, growing food and making compost, maybe with a, a couple of friends or some family, um, making, a, making a delicious lunch and, and sitting out under the grapes and, and having a wonderful lunch. And then I imagine doing some some creative writing, um, maybe sitting with a with a client and and hearing hearing and reflecting back some some story from their life, um, maybe reading reading some mystical poetry or nature connected poetry in the afternoon. Um, I don't have children, but uh, you know I, I can imagine having having some time with some some kids playing in the park or maybe giving one of the one of my the parents down the street a break and taking the kids for a couple of hours into the park. Um, that, that to me, uh, so far sounds like a pretty perfect day. That sounds like a great day. <laughs> it really does. Yeah. May it be so. <laughs> and, um, Claire, as, as I said, you know, thank you, you know, so much for your time and your wild adventure. And I, I really do hope that people, especially parents really listen and, implement some of the things that you've been talking about and really try to be more nature connected um, as you've been saying and if people do want to reach out to you or learn a little bit more about you what's the best way for them to do that well you can certainly hear a lot more about my uh, experience um, if you want to pick up the book my year without matches um, and, and go deeper into what that experience in the in the wilds was like for me um, I'd love to, to connect with anyone who's interested in this in this type of work my business is uh, nature's apprentice the website is naturesapprentice.com.au and uh, you can email me or be in touch or learn about some of the courses coming up there and be great to hear from some um some uh, community members who are who are listening and and feeling the same way oh perfect thank you so much for that claire and i will make sure that all the links are in the show notes, like always. Um, do you have any final comments or anything you'd like to say we, before we say our goodbyes? 
Well, I would just like to end with some gratitude for the opportunity to share my story and for the invitation to uh, to, to chat to you and be inspired by what you're doing with your family and and hope that the ripples from our from our hour together um, extend out into the world and create healing and inspiration for all. Oh, thank you so much, Claire. I really do mean that. I am so thankful that you came on and I'm so thankful for the deep knowledge that you have about such an important topic and, and a topic that often doesn't get enough um, enough air thought time. and airtime, mm-hmm. exactly. Absolutely. But uh, yeah, so once again, thank you. And thank you, everybody, for listening. Until next time, have fun and live immediately. That was another episode of the Live Immediately podcast with Mike Campbell. Thanks so much for listening. The original Live Immediately theme music is by the multi-talented Timothy McPhee. You can check out his music at firekites.bandcamp.com. If you enjoyed the show, had some fun, and maybe even learned something, then make sure you subscribe via iTunes. And while you're there, why not leave a rating and a review? You know it's going to make my day. Thanks for stopping by and giving me some of your time today. I'll catch you on the next episode. And until then, have fun and live immediately.